The purpose of this program is not to prescribe a treatment to individuals. Listeners should consult their health care practitioner before attempting any treatment. Good morning and welcome to Health Watch. I'm Dr. David Naiman, your host. One common critique of natural medicine is that it is unscientific, that compared to conventional medicine, there is no justification to support its use in a modern evidence-based medical system. Today's guest, Dr. Joseph Pizzerno, would beg to differ. Dr. Pizzerno is one of the world's leading authorities on science-based natural medicine and was appointed by President Clinton to the White House Commission on Complementary and Alternative Medicine Policy. A naturopathic physician, educator, researcher, and expert spokesman, Pizzerno is founding president of Bastyr University, the first fully accredited multidisciplinary university of natural medicine, and the first NIH-funded center for alternative medicine research. He's here today on Health Watch to talk about the new third edition of the landmark reference book that he co-authored, The Encyclopedia of Natural Medicine, an over 1,000-page reference guide and treatment manual that can serve as the centerpiece of one's home library on evidence-based natural approaches to health. Welcome to Health Watch, Dr. Pizzerno. Well, good morning. Thank you for the kind introduction. So let, let's start with the claim that we often hear in the media that natural medicine is unscientific. What would you say to that? That is a, a claim that's often made and has little validity. So when we think about the Encyclopedia of Natural Medicine, it's actually a derivative of a book written by myself and Dr. Murray that was first published in 1985. And way back in the early 80s, we were realizing that uh, there was a lot of research that was supporting the principles and practices of natural medicine, but it had not been compiled. So he and I uh, spent about two years compiling research, and we created the textbook of natural medicine, the first, first edition of which was uh, published in 1985. We then realized that not only did doctors need to have a good reference for science-based natural medicine, a, a term I coined, by the way, but we also realized that consumers were interested also in natural medicine that had a good scientific foundation. So we then uh, rewrote the textbook of natural medicine in more consumer-friendly language, and that was the first edition of that was published in 1989. So in the beginning of, of the Encyclopedia of Natural Medicine, you really spend a lot of time going over the principles of what naturopathic medicine is, and you make an argument for why it could be the basis of, the, of a paradigm shift in the, in, in the future of medicine. Can you tell us a little bit about um, how the fundamental ways in which naturopathic medicine differs from conventional medicine? Yes, I, I think that's a, a very a good and important question. And, and um, I'm going to say some things critical of conventional medicine, but let me be clear. I think conventional medicine has a lot to offer people, so let's not throw out the baby with the bathwater. Having said that, though, it also has limitations. So one of the ways that conventional medicine has been successful has been in a standardization of disease diagnosis and disease treatment. Unfortunately, that standardization also assumes standardization of people, and by assuming everybody is the same with this kind of approach, uh, you end up with not only treatment failures, but also a lot of adverse events, you know, a lot of side effects. So while conventional medicine is about the diagnosis and treatment of disease, natural medicine, when properly practiced, is about the diagnosis and treatment of people. So when a person comes in with a disease like oh, migraine headache, well, yes, I'll make the diagnosis, but I'll say, why is a person having migraine headaches? Sure, the drug somatriptan is effective at reducing the symptoms of migraine headache, but it does nothing to deal with the causes why that person is having migraine headache. So we look at migraine headache, you realize that people get to migraine headache from a lot of different pathways. 
So, for example, some people have migraine headaches because their mitochondria and their nerves aren't working properly, and by the nerves not working properly, they're overreactive to, to their environment. So by helping their mitochondria work, work properly, not only do they stop having migraine headaches, but the side effect is that they're healthier because now their body's working better. And generally, that's one thing that happens with natural medicine when practiced properly, is the side effects are improved health rather than drug, drug effects. Now, when I say migraine headaches, uh, mitochondrial dysfunction, there are about 27 different physiological dysfunctions a person can have, any one of more of which will result in this thing we call migraine headaches. But some people have it because of a new, uh, mitochondrial dysfunction. Other people have it because they're not, uh, they're not detoxifying uh, chemicals in the foods called diamines properly. Other people have it because, for example, women who don't detoxify estrogen very effectively. Other people have it because the inflammatory balance is off in their body. So there's a wide range of reasons why a person can have migraine headaches. And so the good doctor will be kind of a detective, detective to figure out what's not working properly, why it's not working properly, and get it working, working again. So for migraine headache, there's actually 60 different natural medicine therapies you can use for migraine headache. And by the way, there's a 1,000 research citations that support this way of approaching migraine headaches. And to to piggyback on that, Dr. Bizzerno, wouldn't you also consider uh, from a philosophical perspective that a naturopath believes that a lot of the responses of the body are, there's a certain wisdom to them that they're trying to come back to us, the symptoms are an attempt of the body to go back to a state of equilibrium that often with pharmaceutical medications you're just suppressing or interrupting? Yeah, the uh, symptoms... Uh, the body is presenting often uh, the symptoms of the body trying to become healthy. And one of the big challenges with conventional medicine is that the drugs are very good at treating symptoms. If you look at the top 10 most prescribed drugs today, uh, eight of the top 10 are simply to treat symptoms. They don't deal with causes why people are sick. So as long, so the more you have a form of medicine, whether natural or conventional, that's oriented towards treat, symptom of relief, then the less effective that system is going to be. And, and let's not let's not kid ourselves. People can use natural medicine for symptom relief as well. Uh, so, for example, if a person has depression, well, you might say, well, you can give them Prozac, or you can say, well, let's give them St. John's Wort instead. Well, I would submit to you that if all you're doing is giving them St. John's Wort and not determining why they're depressed, then you're also practicing symptomatic medicine. So a person could be depressed, for example, because of a B vitamin deficiency, or they could have a lot of uh, uh, silver fillings in their mouth, which are leaking mercury into the brain, and they're, they're depressed because their brain has mercury poisoning. So there, there's a lot. It, it's, let me put it this way. It's harder to practice this form of medicine properly because you have to go more deeply into understanding the causes why people are sick. Well, that's, that brings us to the structure of the Encyclopedia of Natural Medicine in the sense that with each of the different diseases that you present, whether it's common cold and acne or, or getting off of alcohol dependence or HIV, you're, you, you walk through always starting with diet and lifestyle and, and working your way through the um, different levels of intervention, whether it be supplements or what the conventional uh, therapies are. But it seems like... like there's a multidisciplinary approach that happens with every, with every disease that you encounter in the book. Thank you. Yes. So if you look at the book, the first portion of the book is about the foundations of healthy living. And, I, and, and there's no substitute for eating real foods, for avoiding toxins, for having a positive mental attitude in life. So you always have to start with the foundations. But then when a person does have a disease, you understand why. You know, is it a nutritional deficiency? 
is it an environmental toxin? Do they have a genetic polymorphism that makes them particularly susceptible to something? So it's kind of a detective work to figure out what's going on and then, then using therapies that are safe. I mean, fundamental, remember Hippocrates said, first do no evil. So fundamental to our interventions is always doing, using things which don't hurt people. We're back with Dr. Joseph Pizzerno, the uh, co-author of the Encyclopedia of Natural Medicine. Dr. Pizzerno, so this is the third revised edition, and it's quite different than some of the earlier ones. And I'm curious if there's anything that jumps out at you about um, things that you've learned or that we've accumulated in terms of knowledge around um, certain interventions since the second edition. Yes, um, uh, good question. So. A couple of things struck me. First off, uh, if you look at the last edition, it was 900 pages, and this edition is 1,200 pages. And the reason it's longer, uh, are a couple of reasons. One is uh, we added some more uh, diseases to cover. Second is there's a lot more research, and so we, we continue to work hard to make sure that the research is there. So, for example, a textbook in natural medicine has about 10,000 citations, and this latest edition of the encyclopedia has about 1,500 citations. So, again, it's a real strong foundation for science-based natural medicine. But another factor which I was really struck by, so I've, as I mentioned before, I've been working on this with Michael, Dr. Murray now for, boy, almost 30 years now. So I've been looking at what happens, what's been happening in the research. And you may know that there's a, a common saying in conventional medicine that every 10 years, they have to throw out about 50% of what they thought they knew because it was found to be wrong. Well, when you look at natural medicine, that, that hasn't happened. You know, We've got now almost three decades of work on this and watching the research evolve, and the research just keeps confirming the foundations of naturopathic medicine, and that is that you know, there's no substitute for eating real foods that are organically grown, for avoiding environmental toxins, for living your life in a healthy, positive way. And so what's been happening with the research is not that we've been seeing things that are wrong. I mean, yeah, sure, there's some things we had, we had to change, but it was less than, I would say, less than 1% but rather we're just finding more and more ways in which we can use natural medicine ever more effectively for, for taking care of patients. Well, it's interesting that we, we have this very black and white vision in, in the media and in the culture that Western medicine is scientific and natural medicine is unscientific. When I, when I think of depression, for instance, and a lot of the studies on antidepressants not being much better than placebo, but quite a few studies on exercise, let's say, or cognitive behavioral therapy being much better than placebo. It hasn't really changed the way that conventional medicine um, gives advice on depression, even though the the data is there. Yes, and and realize that you know conventional medicine, and I, I refill sad for my medical bro- brother and sister, and if that's the right term, and that is. You know, they, they're, they're well-meaning people. They're there to help their, help their patients. But there's this huge body of knowledge they have not only not been taught, but they've been told is not, is not valid. And so they're not, they're, not, uh, they're not aware of this. But even worse, they don't have enough time to practice this. The average doctor only has about 10 minutes to spend with their patient. Well, in 10 minutes, all you can do is make a disease diagnosis and prescribe a drug. To do natural medicine, it takes at least a half an hour. Because you have to, you have to really understand why that person's sick. You know, what are they eating? What are the, what, what toxins are they being exposed to? What genetic susceptibilities do they have? How do we, how do we optimize a system for the patient? Uh, so it's a lot easier to say, oh, you're depressed. Here's, here's Prozac, rather than say, okay, now let's go through. Let's see, uh, are you, you know, tell me if you eat what foods you eat. I want to see if you have enough B vitamins in your foods. Uh, let me look in your mouth. Let me see how much mercury you got in your mouth. 
know, it, all these things take a lot more time. And certainly there's some concepts that naturopaths use that conventional medicine rarely uses, such as immune support and health optimization in the absence of a, of a disease. Can you talk a little bit about um, some of the things in the encyclopedia of natural medicine that talk about immune support in general, and, and even maybe in relationship to disease if you prefer, because I know some of the diseases like chronic fatigue syndrome don't really have a, a conventional treatment. Uh, yes, and, and actually, that's what the what the encyclopedia is all about. It's all about these fundamentals about why people are sick and how to become healthy. So, when we look at the immune system. Um, let's kind of start with the basics. So, for example, if you have a, a child with chronic ear infections, well, why is that happening? Well, much of the time, it's happening because the child's eating foods they're allergic to. So, the foods they're, they're allergic to not only impair immune system function, but they cause their ears, their ear, you know, the station tubes in their ears to swell, and so it makes it easier for them to get an infection. So you can give antibiotic after antibiotic, and now research shows that for children with chronic ear infections, uh, antibiotics, while they'll take care of the acute ear infections, do nothing for the recurrence of the ear infections. So what we do instead is say, okay, let's take the child off dairy products because one out of three children with chronic ear infections, if they stop eating dairy, dairy products, they stop having infections. Then we say, now how much sugar is that child eating? Because the sugar, child's eating a lot of sugar, well, sugar depresses the immune system. Now let's look at their diet uh, in terms of nutrients. How much zinc is in their diet? Most children, about half of children, are deficient in zinc. Well, without enough zinc, the immune system can't function properly. Same thing with vitamin C. Not enough vitamin C there, which, again, is about half the population. The white cells can't function properly because they need vitamin C to function. Uh, and so we kind of go through and look at what's, what's blocking the proper function of the body. And then sometimes we'll say, okay, um, the fundamentals are there, but you need a little extra help. So in such situations like that, we'll say, okay, let's give the child some echinacea, for example, because we know that will boost immune system function. So there's plenty of examples where we use these natural therapies that have a very low risk uh, that will also help the, the uh, system function better. There's a lot of ways that naturopaths have been ahead of the curve around um, certain medical uh, around certain medical uh, knowledge, and one of them comes to mind is the role of probiotics or the downside of antibiotics, uh, the role of food allergies in food. A lot of things that seem we we seem to be ahead of the curve on on. Um, using that in, in health optimization. Do you, do you think that goes back to first principles, or do you think that's because we're paying attention to the scientific literature earlier? <laughs> uh, that's an interesting question. First off, I think first principles without question, because a lot of what we do, uh, we were doing it before there was research, research supporting that. Uh, and then the good news is that the research now does support it. And also, it, it's good to see that more and more of the conventional doctors are starting to adopt some natural medicine procedures. So, for example, a lot of women now, when given uh, antibiotics, are recommended to use lactobacillus as well to avoid vaginal infections and things like that. So we, do, we are seeing our medical um, colleagues start to develop some of our, some, utilize some of our methodology. Dr. Pizzerno, we only have a couple minutes left of, in the show today, but um, and I know that the encyclopedia goes into a lot of detail on disease-specific interventions, including diet and lifestyle and, and supplements and herbs. But I was curious if you could talk a little bit about are there any specific herbs or supplements that you think uh, form a cornerstone for, for prevention, for people who maybe they don't suffer a condition right now but are looking to hedge their bets and optimize their health going forward in, in life? Uh, yes. <laughs> so 
So since I've been doing spent a lot of time uh, looking at research, I've also been doing corporate wellness programs now where I've been measuring several thousand people, looking at vitamin and, and toxicity level in people. Clearly, number one, nutritional efficiencies are omega-3 fatty acids. You know, that's what you get in fish oils. Uh, just about everybody is low on those. Uh, vitamin D uh, deficiency, very, very common. I would say 90% are low in omega-3 and 80% are low in vitamin D and people I've tested so far. And then the third one is probably iodine. And there's not a lot of talk going on about iodine right now, but I've been looking at the research and I would say probably about 70% of people are low in iodine. So if you want just the top three, uh, those are the top three. And, and what are some of the symptoms that someone who might be omega-3 fatty acid deficient, for instance, would potentially have? What are some of the warning signs of having low omega-3s? Yeah, they're much more susceptible to inflammation. Uh, they tend to have dry skin. Uh, they tend to have a, a, a poorly functioning immune system. Uh, they tend to be more depressed. Um, and if you look at uh, if you look at IQ in children, uh, about 15% of a child's IQ is determined by how the level of omega-3 fatty acids in in the mother while they're incubating them. You might say. So there's just a wide range. And, and is there a, an optimal average dose for the average weight American? Probably two grams a day, I would say. Minimum one gram a day. If a person's having a lot of inflammation, I'd go three or four grams a day. And are you saying one gram of fish oil or one gram of EPA and DHA? Uh, good, good differentiation. So one gram of EPA plus DHA. So it'd probably be several grams of the actual fish oil capsules. Yeah, it depends on how concentrated they are. The better fish oils have a higher concentration. But yes, that, that's a good, uh, important factor to consider. Well, it's good that you brought up vitamin D, especially for our listeners here in the Northwest as well, because almost everybody seems to be deficient if they're not working on it here. Oh, I live in Seattle, and uh, here in Seattle I've probably measured uh, over 30 people. I've not found a single person, including myself, who had adequate levels of vitamin D. And what would, you, what would be some of the warning signs for vitamin D deficiency? Oh, it's quite remarkable. As you may know, there are now about 200 studies being published every month on vitamin D. So people on vitamin D, the first symptom typically is depression. And as you may know, depression is one of the most common reasons people see doctors today. So depression is very common. You have increased risk of cancer, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, uh, type 1 diabetes in particular, much higher incidence in children low in vitamin D than children with normal levels of vitamin D. Uh, virtually every disease had now been associated with uh, deficiency in vitamin D, and having higher levels of vitamin D results in um, decreased incidence. I mean, osteoporosis, uh, you name it. Um, women low in, breast, in, in vitamin D have increased risk of breast cancer. If they get breast cancer, it's more likely to metastasize if they're low in vitamin D. I, I, I have an hour and a half lecture just on vitamin D. It's really quite remarkable. And such an easy thing to correct, ultimately, too. So in our last minute, so I should just mention that one of the things that's really useful in the Encyclopedia of Natural Medicine also is that you go into the conventional treatments and sometimes bring out some uh, downsides of doing them that we don't really hear about. And one that, was, that really jumped out at me when I was preparing for the interview today was the suggestive evidence, it's not been proven as a causation, around uh, sleeping pills and mortality and cardiovascular events. Could, could you briefly touch on that? There, there are so many examples of where a conventional medical drug is effective in releasing, relieving symptoms, symptoms on the short term, but in the long term make things, make things worse. And um, 
and, and, and there's kind of a philosophical reason for this or, or conceptual explanation, and that is if you look at most of your vitamins and minerals and such, what they do is they support enzymes because enzymes require a vitamin and mineral plus a protein to work. So when you provide nutrition, you're supplying things for the body to work properly. Conversely, most drugs are enzyme poisons. Now, the, the drug is being prescribed to specifically turn off enzymes because those enzymes are involved in the production of symptoms. So why would it be a surprise to anybody that when we give a drug that poisons enzyme systems that there's going to be unexpected, undesirable side effects? And that's what you see over and over again. When you look at the drugs, they have, they have a lot of side effects. Well, Dr. Pizzerno, it was a real pleasure having you on Health Watch today. Well, thank you very much. We were talking today with Dr. Joseph Pizzerno, the co-author of the Encyclopedia of Natural Medicine. Stay tuned for the rest of the Monday morning radio zine.